Cynthia. You may or may not believe the topic of today's conversation, but even the CSIRO respects water divining and says it can be up to 80% accurate. Not bad for what some people call a bit of bush magic. Arthur Vinicom might just convince you. He's helped many people find water, especially through the last drought. At 83 years of age, Arthur has spent a lifetime as a water diviner and as an instinctive conservationist, and he's today's guest on Tales of the Valley. Good morning, Arthur. Hello there. Thank you for joining us on Tales of the Valley today. Now, I've heard you're a man of many talents. A couple. And water divining is a gift that you possess? Yes. How did you? How old were you when you first knew that you could do it? Uh, probably in my early twenties. Yeah, Mum used to use a forky stick, and her father actually was a water diviner too back in the eighteen hundreds. Oh, really? Yep. And um, sometime in the eighteen hundreds, um, over at Millthorpe, they had an orchard over there. Where's Millthorpe? Millthorpe, over near Orange. Oh, okay. Yep. And. Um, there was a big drought on, and he divined the water, and uh, the whole neighbourhood came there and dug a well 130 foot deep, and they everybody used that for stock and domestic. Really? So it goes back a while. It does go back a few generations. Hmm. So did your mother teach you how to do it, or is no, it just something I, you could do? I followed mum around where she detected the streams with the forky stick, but it had barely worked for me. But I've picked it up with a wire since then, and it works perfectly. Yeah. So when I think of water divining, I do think of someone walking around with those two... Two wires, yeah. They look like bent coat hangers. Yeah, they're just like an L shape. Yeah. And, uh, but you don't need the two. One's just as good as the two. Yeah. Okay, so you use one? I used to use one now. Yeah. Yeah. And is it a special wire? No, or? anything will do it. Piece of old rusty barbed wire if you wanted to. Still works the same. Still works. Yep. Yeah. But your mother would use a just a Y-shaped forky stick. Yes. Mm. Off any particular tree? Not really. No. no? Just had to be quite. Just a uh, flexible. Flexible. Yeah. And so when it... when it was held out, mm-hmm. and then the um, when she came over the water, the rod would dip down to the water. Mm. Wow, it's just amazing. Uh, with the uh, the wires that I use, yes, uh, holding it straight out in front of me, and then when I cross uh, the water stream or cables or anything like that, pipes or anything like that, I pick up it. Um, it just goes out to the side instead of straight oh, so out. So it changes. Goes, it yeah. moves. And then if there's more than one stream underneath, it will go wag backwards and forwards. <laughs> yeah. So do you feel do you feel anything go through you? Is it like a vibration or...? Uh, not with the water. Uh, I was down at, um, in the Bulladeela range there one day and uh, trying to find a stream that I knew where it was, roughly where it was going. Mm-hmm. And before I got to the, where the stream was, probably 30 metres before, I was using two rods and both my hands were really tingling like blazers. Oh, tingling. Like- yep. Like pins uh, and needles, yep. sort of thing like tingling? Uh, so there was something else down there besides water. Probably some mineral, possibly. Yeah. That's I the have... only time it's done that to me. Oh, really? Because mm. I have, I did a bit of research because I didn't know anything about it. And there's not very much you can find mm. about it, but I've heard that you can find other things as yep. well as water. Mm. Um, People, uh, what I read, they can even pick up gold. I did read that, yeah. Yeah. So you haven't found any gold yet? I haven't even tried. Oh, you haven't tried? Unless that was down there. You never know. Bulladeela isn't in the gold field. No, no, it's not, is it? Oh, it is? Oh, Gloucester Gold Gold Field, it would be, wouldn't it? Yep. Hmm. Hmm. So you can tell how much water's down there? Yes. 
how fast it's going? Uh, not so much how fast I can tell how much is there mm -hmm. in the stream or, or whatever. Now, I use another a long piece of wire or a uh, truck aerial, for instance. Is one I got Just truck randomly aerial. break it off a truck and, yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, not break it off, I bought it actually. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Uh, but uh, then once I find where the stream is with the L-shaped piece of wire, mm -hmm. then I'll get the other one and I touch it on the ground yes. and it just hold it straight out and it will start to bounce upwards and downwards. And um, you count that off, each bounce is a foot deep. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, so it might go down to 30 feet. Yes. It'll stop bouncing and then it'll rotate. And okay. uh, each rotation is a gallon an hour. Wow. So you count the rotations, and then if there's more than one stream, it will stop rotating, it'll start bouncing again. <laughs> and then uh, it'll go through the process, um, uh, even down across the bite from Wingham, uh, an extinct volcano there. I went out there to find water for the dairy farmer, and it was uh, I went down nine different levels, down to about 5,000 feet. Took me four and a half hours <laughs> <laughs> with the rod bouncing. That's incredible. Yeah. So you started seriously doing it in your 20s? No, no, I've only, no. only in this drought I started only in the drought. doing it to people. Yeah. So did you sort of put your hand up when the drought got really bad yeah, and people were really yeah, desperate? towards the end of the drought there, for the last 12 months I, I was charging to, for the service. Yeah. Because yeah. there was no water anywhere. No water anywhere. No. In fact, I went out... So you hadn't been using it really up until... No, only, only playing around and, and uh, working out where, where water courses were going. Mm-hmm. Uh, all over the place. So um, uh, from um, uh, you pick it up down at Kalungalook, for instance. Yes. And uh, there's there's three fault lines all intersect at Kalungalook. Oh. And um, so from there it goes out through into the uh, Mile Lakes mm -hmm. near Bungwall. Right, yes. And it heads out through uh, to the right of Gloucester, heading out into the Barringtons. Okay. Uh, and it's, it's roughly 300 metres wide all the way. It's quite a large one. That's massive. Mm. And uh, if, if, the, uh, if there was heavy rain over at um, Gloucester and Barrington area, the gold mine at Kalungalook used to fill up with water. Oh, it'd it go used that to, far. It used to take two days from the from the Barrington to fill, start filling the gold mine up, and they'd have to start pumping in the water out of it. So they knew if they were getting water up there. Yeah. They had to. Yeah. Right. And that's that's the same one that goes down through and enters into the Moyle Lakes. Mm. So you also told me that you can detect water drive when you're driving. Yep. Yeah. How do you do that? Oh, same way. The, same just, way? Yeah. Uh, you can hold the rod in your hand and um, uh, at 110 kilometres an hour, it will still work for me. <laughs> it's just amazing. Mm. So, can anybody do it? No. No. No, you have to have the gift. And sometimes if uh, people are always wanting to try it out and it won't work for me, if I put my hand on their shoulder, quite often it'll work for them. <laughs> So it's something in you. Yep. So what do you think it actually is? I don't really know. Um, uh, Linda, uh, my ex, uh, when she used the wire like that and uh, she'd go past the water and the rod would swing back around and point back to where the, the water was. But it must be something to do with electricity too because she used to send watches mad. Oh. So maybe some sort of electrical current or something like that possibly. But I really think So that maybe I'm, you conduct it, you're a conductor or something. Yeah. I think I'm actually picking up the magnet's magnetic field. And when it's disturbed, any disturbance I can pick it up. Yeah. So what other sort of disturbance? On a macabre note you also told me you could pick up graves. Yep. Yeah. 
So that's been disturbed. So the uh, earth's been disturbed yep. and another... Even the, uh, the uh, tunnel boring to put cables and things in, mm -hmm. I can pick up, up those. Uh, even even water in a plastic bucket. You can if I, I can if I put the rod over that, the rod works for me. Which is possibly, I suppose, it's a disturbance in the whatever. Yeah, it's um. Yeah, they don't really know how it works, but mm. they know it works. It works. Like the CSIRO. Mm. Yeah. Know it actually works. Yeah. They don't know how. Mm. So what would you say your percentage of being right is? Well, I don't really know. There hasn't been... For your accuracy. Yeah. There hasn't been very many actually put bores in since I've done it. Mm -hmm. I've did it for quite a few, but very few of them have uh, actually had the bore done. But one down at uh, Swan Bay, I, I knew there was water there. Wherever the red gums grow, true red gums, wherever they grow the shallow artesian water, Okay. And I knew it was there and eventually he got to get me to go down and test it out. And there were several different places there, down to a hundred odd feet down. And then I found one just behind his shed. And I, I said there was 1,860 gallons an hour, I think it was, at say 30 feet. And, uh, but I said, that'll be over, over reading because there was a big storm coming down the river. That's the cyclone that went through Tar in a while back and oh. done a lot of damage there. Yeah, last year. Uh, but anyway, uh, when he had it bored, he got 1,350 gallons an hour, which wasn't a great lot less. No. And he said you was eight inches out in your depth. Eight inches, <laughs> right. More accurate next That's time. That's really accurate. Other. It's really yeah. accurate, it's amazing. Mm. So does the landscape of the bush help you as well? Like your bush knowledge help you? Yes. Yeah, like with what trees are growing, like the red gums? Yes, the, uh, the red gums, for instance, doesn't matter what variety it is, wherever the true red gums grow. What's a true red gum? Uh, not the Sydney red gum. They're, they're in Angophora. The true red gums, they usually have a fairly smooth clean bark, not a rough bark like an iron no. bark or something. Right, yeah. Mm. But then... Um, but not an angophora. Not an angophora, right. no. It has to be the, the true red gums. And then uh, if you walk through the bush and you see the, the trees, say they might be heading over to the, to the right, say. If you look at that tree just there, see that tree there with the limbs all going out to the right? Yes. Now you might find another one over that side it will be coming back over this way. That okay. indicates where the stream's going. They always... Oh, so they head, bow together. Heads, yeah. So they go oh. towards where the streams are. Okay. Mm. So you've got to be aware of your surroundings as mm. well. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So you've always lived in the bush, Arthur? Most of my life, yes. Most of your life. Yeah. Where did you grow up? Uh, Dad was a fettler on the Cobar line and all out through the inland there and uh, not in... 47, he gave it away and went dairy farming. So the bush has been your part yes, of your life? Yes, yeah, well, I, I started uh, log falling when I was 18 with axe and a cross cut and then uh, went on to sleeper cutting and small saw milling. Because we actually haven't mentioned yet, Arthur, you're 83? Yes. So, but still working. Still working. And still out in the bush mm. and doing things. And one of the things you started doing was seed collecting. Well, the, the seed collecting was when Linda and I were first married. Uh, I was share farming, but also logging with an old D7. And um, I used to, Linda used to do the morning milking and I'd run up over the mountain and back down the other side into the other valley. You'd run. I'd run. I'm <laughs> okay. fit. I'm still fit. And I'd run up over the mountain and down the other side. Didn't have a vehicle those days. And then I'd log all day and run back over the mountain in the evening and Linda would be practically finished the milking by that time. But the, the big tallowwood trees were loaded with seed. And uh, 
That, and where was this, Arthur? Out at Marley. Marley, right. Yep. Uh, and then um, uh, at about that time, in fact, right through the 50s and 60s, one page in the land newspaper used to be written about trees and plants by bluegum, pen named bluegum. So because all this seed was on the trees, I wrote to the land and asked them, did bluegum by any chance buy seed? Uh, which they didn't. When the letter came back, they said uh, bluegum was actually an elderly lady. <laughs> and she got most of her information from George Alder for out at Wellington which was one of the pioneers of the seed game. Right, seed plant. And George yes. and Peter Alderfer started the Burrandong Arboretum at the Burrandong Dam. Mm. And then I, I started selling seed to him for, for a while and then sort of gradually he gave me other nam names and gradually worked into a full-time business. And did you protect, collect just native seeds? Mostly natives, Native. yeah. And trees? Trees, all sorts of shrubs and whatnot, um, like the RTA. Uh, if you go from Taree to Karua, for instance, all the vegetation between the roads and up the sides of the roads, I was involved in collecting a heck of a lot of that seed to grow all that. And so that's, those seeds or those trees and shrubs were particular to that area, so that's why they've replanted all, there, isn't All it? earthworks now, for a lot of years now, has to be regenerated with endemic seeds, they need to be collected off that site. And it has to close be off to that, that area. Site, close to yep. the area. So they know it will grow and propagate yep. and it's good yeah. for the yeah. environment yep. and the flora and fauna as well. Well, sometimes it's impossible. They've got to take other seed because a lot of years there's no seed. So it has to be got from somewhere else just to do the job if they need to get it done. So how time-consuming would seed collecting be? It would be quite labour-intensive. Uh, no, not, not that bad. Uh, tedious, mm. a lot of time, but I like the job. Uh, women are very good at, if you need some help, women are the best, They're as usual. More gentle, uh, more particular. Men, men would rather push their guts out behind the sawmill rather than do a tedious job. But sometimes I've had um, uh, three or four people, if there's been a big order, and uh, three or four people collecting. Mm. So did you see a need for collecting seeds as well? Because the bush was changing? Not so much changing. There's, there's more bush now than what there used to be, despite what the greenies say. Oh, really? All the old dairy farms right throughout the Manning, Gloucester, all out through there, where we used to dairy farm, are all bush nowadays. Oh, because they've gone. Yeah, they've gone back to the bush. There's no dairy farming anymore. Yeah. Now, with, can we go back a little bit um, with the water divining and the drought? Did you know the drought was coming because of what the bush was doing? Or did you know how severe it was going to be? I had a, an inkling it may have been coming because... Um, before dry times, quite often the vegetation will have a prolific amount of seed on it. Mm. Just so it's preservation getting, of the species. Yeah, it's getting words. ready to go. We need to save yep. ourselves. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And if we scatter seed on the ground, yeah. it might come up. Mm. Do you know also when a drought's going to break? By the, uh, the springs letting go. Yes. Yep. Explain that to me. Well, back about 19, possibly about 1956, sometime in the 50s I'd say it would be, uh, Dad had a property up at Mount George in the Manning, and the uh, permanent stream, in, not, not a stream, just a bit of a, a water in the gully, and uh, it went dry, completely dry. And then I went down to get the cows through the gully one day, and all the, uh, the spiky crayfish holes everywhere, the water was bubbling out of them and running from there down the gully. The next day the drought broke. Oh, because mm. the water was pushing up. Mm. Atmospheric pressure, maybe. 
And my brother-in-law, for instance, yes. uh, was on the nose as working for the forestry when they put the road from Scone to Gloucester. And they used to come home Wednesday night and Friday night, perfectly fine days, and they wouldn't be able to get across the gullies to be four foot of water in them. So all the sphagnum bogs would let the water go, and then there was rain. Oh, so it must be a pressure thing. Mm. Yeah, a release of pressure. Mm. <clears throat> so were you in a great demand at the end of the drought, at the end of last year, before the bush? I did quite a lot, actually. I, I was charging $200 a, a time or $100 half a day, for instance. And I finished up, I made over $2,000 for my little sideline. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. That's nice. Because people were just desperate for water, mm. weren't they? Yeah. I put signs up in the produce places that I was available for water dividing. It was people who were running out of water big time. Big time. Mm. And how sceptical were they when they rang you? Were they sceptical? The, most were of they... the ones that ring me are quite okay with it. Yeah. But other people, no go. <laughs> Is I'll tell you, a little, tell you a little story of, of, of yeah. mum. Um, she was quite elderly at the time. And Dick Smith didn't believe in water divining. Like Dick Smith, the uh, aviation... Yep. yep. Um, uh, he was, I think, he had the Australian Geographic too. Yes, yes. Uh, anyway, mum must have heard him on the radio and she challenged him. And uh, so... When my sister and I, after Mum died, we went over to Orange to clean the place up and we found a letter, which I've still got somewhere here, and um, uh, in the letter he said he'd donate $10,000 to her if he, if he buried a container in the ground and she could find it. She never ever took it up with him. And <laughs> but I can do it. I can do it with my eyes shut. It's so easy. So is it something that you tell people that you can do? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So what would you say? 50-50 people believe you? Uh, probably like probably more than that. More than that, You yeah. get the sceptics and no matter... You can actually show some people what it'll do and they still won't believe you. Yeah, they'll you're think doing it yourself. Yeah, they'll think you've planted it, you're yep. moving them. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So it's quite, um, it's almost like magic. It's a bit hard to believe sometimes. There is a... Do you surprise yourself sometimes? Yes, i tell you of another one. Uh, down at Bulladeela, there's a big uh, fault line runs right through under the town, through the golf club and up the edge of Allen Mountain. And I knew where the water was. And one day I was up there roaming around, just casually had the rod in my hand. And... Nothing happened. I, my mind was elsewhere. And I thought, there is water there. So I purposely went back and I walked it again. And the rod worked for me. Oh, so so there you've is got something, to be concentrating. Something to do with your mindset as well. Right, so you've got to be concentrating, looking mm. for it. Yeah. So it can't just be random sort of. Mm. What it is, I don't know. It's, uh, like I say, it's a, bit of a bit of a magic job. <laughs> Have you passed it on to any of your children? Have you passed it on to anybody? Oh, I show other people. Uh, while I was still in Taree there, I, I rang one of the plumbers and him and his son came out and um, I showed him how to do it so he can find where cables oh, and things are. So I can pick up cables. Mm. You can pick up cables. Yep. So they're not digging cables. Yeah, that's what I, I thought. I'd, I'd show him where it was so he doesn't dig through a cable. Yeah. And I can also pick up the optical fibre. Oh, can you? Which the ones the, with their instruments can't do. All I can pick up is the transponder they put in the near the uh, the posts they put in three cornered concrete post. Uh, they put a transponder in there. If it's over two hundred metres to the next one, they'll drop a transponder in the middle. Because they don't know exactly where that's, the. That's all I can pick up is a transponder. But if the bulldozer wanders around around a stump or a wet place, they don't know where it is, but I do. <laughs> hmm. So have you 
apart from the two plumbers, have you passed it down in a family, your family? No, no the others are not interested in it. Not interested? <laughs> Maybe it's something they haven't even try. tried it. They haven't tried it. <laughs> I thought that would be something that they would be, yeah. But you said you can, if you put your hand on someone's shoulder, Quite often it'll work. Quite often. Not every time, but quite often it will. Mm. It's just fascinating. Yeah. So what other stories would you like to tell us, Arthur? About your life in the Manning? Uh, I was sleeper cutting and uh, fence posts, dairy farming, a bit of all sorts. So all in the bush. And then the last um, the last 50 years I've been contracting with a tractor, clearing, slashing, ploughing, all that sort of stuff. Mm. So not collecting seeds I'm anymore? Still collecting seeds. Still collecting but the seeds. But not a great lot these days. So anything in particular you collect at the moment? Uh, right across, uh, mainly, mainly wattles, mm -hmm. the native peas and beans, that sort of thing. Mm. Do we have a lot of different varieties of wattle in the area, in the valley? I collect about uh, five or six different wattles uh, in the local area and probably another probably another dozen different native peas and beans. Mm. Legumes. So other peas and beans? Legumes. Legumes. Are they edible or just flowering? A couple of them. A couple mm. of them. Mm. Do you eat any of the bush? Now and again you'll have a bit of a Bit of a chop? If you're out yeah. there and you're a bit hungry, and you yeah. can. Yeah. One of the little uh, one of the little wattles grow down around the sand country. The um, the um, the pods on that are edible. Some of the uh, the seeds um, mm -hmm. uh, you'll get very very fine seed. Some has got anything up to four and five thousand viable seeds to the kilogram. Wow! Very very small. Mm. And what sort of what trees or plants would they come from? Uh, mainly the tea tree type things, Leptospermums is another one, and um, Melaleucas are very fine. Uh, I, I've got a little um, box. So you know all their botanical names? Well, not all of them, some of them. Most yeah. of them. I've got a little box of um, seeds in little capsules, mm -hmm. and uh, at one stage, I took them over to Tokale Field Day. Yes. A, a box of um, uh, bushes with the seed capsules on them and uh, this little display of seeds and another, another plastic bucket half full with just eucalyptus seeds in so they could get their hands in it and feel it. And feel what it was like. And it was very well taken. I can yeah. imagine, yeah. Mm. Uh, even the... Um, the flooded gum, we used to get a lot of that down in Bulladeela for export. And um, at one stage, um, there was uh, four and a half spud bags, went 50 kilo bags, went over to Algeria. To Algeria? Yes. Flooded gums. Mm. So over in the Middle East, they, they used to grow a lot of um, uh, flooded gum and blue gum. Uh, flooded gum makes the best paper in the world. Does it really? Yes. Mm. And, and so uh, they were producing paper from it yes, in Algeria? Yes. Mm. Two different bags I had tested at that stage. There was uh, uh, 887,000, I think it was, to the kilogram. Mm. Yeah. Wow. So where else would they export them to? Uh, I had another order for um, South America at one stage mm -hmm. from Queensland, up in central Queensland, north central Queensland. Um, then um, I was waiting for the forestry to tell me when the flooded gum was ripe. When they finally did, and we took off up there, it was all gone. Oh. We missed out. So you missed out on yeah, that. The forestry weren't good enough to... To let you know. Yep. No. So I missed out on that order. I know California has a lot of eucalypts. They do. Actually, they call it Californian blue gum over there, I believe. <laughs> I think they do, actually. Why did, why did a, 
Why did California decide that an Australian native um, was such a good tree to grow? Well, I suppose uh, people taking seeds over there and they could see how good it grows, so that's where it started. I actually got a... Because they uh, actually grow quite quickly, don't they? They do, yeah. yeah. Uh, up on my father's property, uh, we sold it in 67, I think it was, 1967, after he died. I bought it back some time ago, 50 years later, and there was uh, trees on it there that were all... Uh, a metre thick almost, 40 centimetres to a metre thick. Middle logs in wow. 50 years. In 50 years. Which yeah. used to be cultivations. So that's quite an impressive growth rate, growth really. very quickly. Yeah. Because mm. I, I can remember I lived in California for a little while in Los Angeles and it was quite bizarre at first to see all these eucalypts. It was like, oh, this is... The land, it didn't suit the landscape. It wasn't oh, quite right. right. Yep. Yeah. But yeah, eucalypts everywhere. Yeah. Did you go to the Everglades? No, I didn't. I didn't go that side. El no. Belbari tea tree, Melaleuca quinquinervia, has overrun it. Has it really? Yep. <laughs> Did you send that there? No, <laughs> long before my time. <laughs> has it really? Why mm. would they have Melaleuca there? Oh, somebody's taken it over there because it looks nice when it's flowering and whatnot. <laughs> And it's seeds like blazes. Yeah. Okay. See, it would have um, it would have about somewhere around maybe five million to the kilogram of seed, viable seeds. So it's very and prolific. it seeds regular of all all every almost every year it seeds. It just goes mad. Oh, and because melaleuca grows in that in damp, the wet wet country. Wet. Yep. Yes. Because when you if you see it growing, you know oh, it's going to be a swamp. Yeah. Down at Old Bar. Uh, I've just been working down there recently, and um, when the Belbari, when there's a Belbari around there, the seedlings since the fire have come up, and um, if you grab one handful, you would have five or six in your hand, and it just looked like a loosened paddock. They're so thick. So thick. So that's what's going to come up, come up fire. really quick. Yeah. Mm. So actually, that's an interesting question. Um, since the fire, and because it was such a moonscape. Mm. Um, apart from the melaleuca, what have you seen growing? The black oak is um, um, two inches high. What's that, 50 mil mm -hmm. already? Uh, a lot of the eucalyptus, different types of eucalyptus are down there. They're um, uh, foot to eight inches high, 18 inches high already in six months. Because we had that good rain. Yep, straight after the fire. Yeah. And Australia needs fire to, to regenerate To it. regenerate. And of course, when the fire goes through, the capsules open, they drop in the ash and away they go. And so the ash would actually be quite good for the soil as well. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yep. Uh, do the banks here... Banksias all come up after fire. They have to have fire. They need fire yep. to propagate, don't they? But will the trees regrow? Do you know? A lot of them will sucker up from around the base. Right. But uh, they won't grow new shoots from the branches, will Depends they? on how hard the fire is, but uh, down at Old Bar, I noticed some of them are trying to grow along this, the trunks. Some of them are growing from the, from from the, the base. From the base, yeah. But uh, it was so severe, a lot of the trees actually completely died from Gone. it. Gone. And yeah. a lot of those old banks, is, especially along the sand dunes, mm. they would be, I don't know, Hundred years old, maybe. Oh older. yes, yeah. yeah. But the ground is full of seed, plus all the cones are there. They need fire to open them up, and as soon as the fire goes through, they just germinate straight away. As soon as it rains. So that bush will regenerate. Oh no, yeah. Yeah, but what about? It'll be thicker now, actually, than what it was before. Than what it was. Yeah. Because that was actually one of the things that you could notice be <coughs> before the fire went through, and the, when the drought was so severe. Mm. You could just see straight through the bush because the yes. undergrowth was gone. Yeah, nothing. It had all died. Mm. So that, okay, that will be good. Mm. Um, but what about the weeds or the things that shouldn't be? Weeds there? have done the same thing. They have. They're as thick. I haven't seen weeds grow like since the fire. There must yeah. have been years of seed there and even where there was no, no weeds before. You take the roundabout going on the highway at Taree South. It used yes. to be just strap rush. 
around the, they planted around there. Now you've got a job to see the brush for weeds. And the asparagus fern and all sorts of things have mm. just yeah taken over a lot of that bush. <coughs> so would you have any ideas how to get rid of that? I think it'll uh, peter out on its own accord. Mm -hmm. The seed will be there, there'll be massive amounts of seed there, but probably after three or four years as it dies down it'll sort of peter it'll, out, I think. It'll sort of even yeah. itself out. Yeah. See, so, weeds and all that sort of thing, they're, they're the first thing to regenerate. Yes. It's just nature and you'll find that if you looked in those places like that, in amongst all that weeds you'll find small native eucalypts and wattles, all sorts of stuff like that. And as the other stuff peters out, those, those long-lived stuff will take over. Will take over. So, <clears throat> how old were you when you finished school, Arthur? Fourteen. <laughs> Couldn't so, get to high school. You didn't get to high school? Didn't get to high school. I uh, started school when I was seven. Mm -hmm. And uh, Dad got a shift from inland at uh, Guabigar to Colombati, that near Fredericton. Uh, when we got there, the little school had been shifted away. Oh, so, so no school. My three, three elder brothers, I was the youngest, three elder brothers rode two bicycles into Fredericton. And then uh, I missed school there for eight months till they got a shift to Coopernock. No, I did third and fourth. So, what class. did you? What were you doing if you, when you weren't at school? Just on the remember, farm. Just no, he wasn't farming. He was wasn't he was fettling. So fettling you were on just the railway. hanging out with mum. Oh, I don't know. I don't remember those days. <laughs> <laughs> just doing nothing like kids, kids would. <laughs> Tagging after, yeah. Yeah, I was always ran in the bush, playing around the bush. And yeah. Bugs and all sorts of things. I was always always interested in nature. So your ed a lot of your education was just from the bush. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So I missed I missed eight months at uh, Columbatty. Uh, I did third and fourth class at Coopernock to catch up. Uh, then um, I couldn't get to high school after I finished sixth class. So the teacher said, "Well, you might as well do leaflet work." And I started doing that. And I said, "It's a waste of time. It's only fourth class." So, so leaflet work is just like book work, like yes, yeah. from books. And yeah. then um, uh, I told the teacher it was a waste of time. Well, he said, well, "You might as well repeat sixth class then." <laughs> well, I only did I think three months or something. I left school. <laughs> he went, "No, had enough." <laughs> but you've got, you've obviously got incredible learning. So you're well read, Arthur. I'm always reading. Always reading. Slow reader, but I'm always reading. Doesn't matter, yeah. but you're reading. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So you're basically self-taught apart yes. from the, and the yeah. bushcraft. Mm. Yeah. So uh, I want to um, uh, grow a native seed orchard now. That's what I'm endeavouring to do now. Mm -hmm. And um, because the uh, once the city came to the country, First thing I do is stick a padlock on the gateway and a no trespass notice up. And where I used to do a, a lot of collecting, say down around Swan Bay and Nelson's Bay, all down through there, now it's all developed. You can't do anything down there anymore. And uh, so we need to <coughs> need to start a, a seed orchard so we can actually get enough seed now. So when you say a seed orchard, is that basically having different species of plants yes, yes. so you can harvest yeah. the seed mm. from them. I'll grow them in rows. Yep, like an orchard. Like, yeah. a, like an orchard or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And then um, once a year they'll, they'll set their seed and I can harvest it. And what particular species would you like to see in your orchard? Well, the, uh, the hardened verger is one of them. The, the native seed you see around the road, the purple vine grows all around the road in the springtime. That's one of the main things oh, I, want, right, yes. I need to grow. Mm -hmm. uh, just cannot get enough of that. Uh, and then uh, there's about seven different wattles and uh, other little native legumes and stuff that I'll be growing. Probably about a dozen to 15 species. Uh, they're all uh, quick, quick to maturity. 
Mm-hmm. If I could get them in the springtime, say, I might get a little bit of seed by Christmas time. Um, the following summer, they'll be in full swing. So I'm, I'm too old to grow a lot of the stuff. Because I was about it to say, so you're 83? Yeah, yes. it wouldn't mature enough. So what I've selected is, is several varieties that will... That will mature. Mature within, within the two seasons. Right. So and then each, that, each season after that, you get a crop off it. And reasonably easy to grow. Yes. And mm. pest tolerant they would be too? Most of it is, yes. Yeah. yeah. Being native. Mm. Mm. So how much of an area do you need to do that, Arthur? I need about uh, probably about five hectares. So that's your plan for the future? Yes. A native seed Mm. orchard. That's fairly impressive. And it's quite lucrative too. I can imagine it would be. (laughs) Uh, When we we used to, Linda and I used to collect the the purple creeper along the highway and uh, just you find where the, the plant's growing and you reap it with a reaping hook and just roll it up like a blanket and take it home and dry it out and the seed will shed. And then the new yeah. seed's there. Uh, it doesn't hurt the plant because when you're reaping it, the next year's growth is already there. So you're basically pruning it. Pruning it, yeah. And the following summer it's... It's there. It's Full got again. a beautiful carpet yep. of purple yep. flowers. And uh, that's one that I intend to grow. And um, it's pretty good money in it too. And why the wattles? Mainly because they, they need so much of it. It's all along the highway. There's a lot of it's planted all along the highway. And uh, the Buller Dealer Bypass, for instance... Um, uh, I think that was, I only took the first half of the, the Bulladila Highway contract and I think it was $30,000 worth went into that, so $60,000, $70,000 worth in seven kilometres of native seeds. Mm. And a lot of that would have been destroyed in the last bushfires. Yeah, but you go down there now and after the fire, it'll, again. Be, it'll be young stuff coming up everywhere. Wherever the fire was, it's thick regeneration. That old chap that I, um, he's long dead now, George Oliver out at Wellington, uh, he told me that he successfully germinated eucalyptus 35 years after he harvested it. So the seed will stay dormant for that long? Yep. Mm. I remember a, a, a big serpentine tree out at my father's place at Mount George a ring, turpentine tree. Turpentine. Uh, years since it was ring-barked and uh, the, the fire got into it and burnt it out. It was, it was grass all around it. When it burnt it out, there was turpentine trees come up everywhere. They were all in the, the, in the bark, no doubt. Mm. So the seed was in the bark. Evidently sitting in the bark there in the fire. Just waiting to go. Yeah. yeah. They're very resilient, aren't oh, they? Oh, my word. Yeah. Mm. So, have you been able to pass your bush knowledge on to anybody? No. No? Not that many people interested in... in uh, people help me out. Uh, sometimes, uh, oh, I'd like to do that, but uh, I've never sort of got anybody to, to stick with it. But you must... You're a wealth of knowledge, Arthur, with all that. Jack of all trades, master of none. Oh, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> I would not say that. I think there's a lot of... A lot of gifts and a lot of. Things. I would have. It would have been nice to have gone to uni or something and learned it properly. But the school of art, Knox, is. I think very you good. probably learnt. Yeah. You learn in a different way. Mm. But you've probably got a, a broader depth. I was into uh, tea tree oil research at one stage. Yes. Down at Bulladila, mm-hmm. uh, using a different variety to what they grow for plantation. It mostly produces eucalyptus oil. The tea tree? The tea, that particular tea tree, uh, Melaleucal and Neurophilia. Um, two areas of Bulladila actually produced tea tree oil in varying quantities. 
And uh, I was um, working on that. Um, one of the big plantation fellows came down there, he heard what I was doing because I was still producing a little bit of oil and selling it to the buyer down at... Oh, so you were actually producing, you were distilling the oil? Selling the oil yeah. in a small way. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the oil buyers uh, got in touch with the big producer up north and he came down to Bulladeela and we went all around from, say, or at Port Macquarie, down to Newcastle and all in between, collecting the leaf, having it analysed. And, um, Who was analysing it for you? The oil buyer actually the set up under was. my house with, uh, I think he had seven little glass sills that he was, while we were bringing it in, he was analysing it. Right. And um, uh, this syndicate of uh, seven people in the tea tree business, they... Um, uh, they were going to start a plantation, a big, big, in a big way, but they broke up. Four of them went offshore with their part of it, uh, and then um, we finished up. I think we had 14 kilos of clean seed. Uh, one we had actually produced 3.7% oil. At that stage, it was only yielding the plantation was yielding 1.3. Oh, so that was a really high producer. It was a high producer, but the eucalyptus content was too high. I didn't realise Melaleuca produced eucalyptus oil. Down here it does. Right. Yeah, varying types they do, but down at Bulladoo, as I say, I had two areas that were actually producing tea tree oil. Some of the trees. Yeah. The rest were, were eucalyptus. And anyway, um, uh, Colin finished up. He said, that's enough. We've got enough seed. Uh, and I said, no, I'm going to carry on. There's a four out there somewhere, a four percent. Oh. So I kept on going and I finished up with a 4.1 percent. So you found it, you and knew the, it was there. And the, the tea tree grade was right where it had to be. Right. And uh, in any way... So uh, medicinal grade? Yep. yep. Spot on. And then uh, when the National Park took over... Uh, I actually bought a tree off the off the forestry. They wouldn't let me get a, a backhoe in to dig it out, so I had to do it with a chainsaw and a mallet. <laughs> by uh, hand? Yeah, yeah, by hand, just the stump. And I took it home, and I had uh, the sucker was doing quite well, and the big back, buck roo knocked it off and killed it. Oh, no. <laughs> That one plant. That one plant. <laughs> and a big the kangaroo in, comes along. The best in the world. <laughs> Can you go back and get another one up? <laughs> no, no, because the National Park took over. So they've locked it. And I cannot, because I'm only a mug, I can't get a scientific picker's licence to work in the National Park. Because you don't have that. I'm a, I'm a nobody. Because you don't have that qualification, mm. yep. do you? Yet I'm so far ahead of all the... All the rest you of it. You knew where, that, where it was, yes, mm. with your just general knowledge. Yeah. Um, one of the eucalypts oil that I really like is is a blue gum. Mm. It's my favourite eucalyptus oil. All right. What's the difference with it? It's got a, quite a different smell to it. Mm. No, I don't know what it's like. Yeah, yeah it's got. A, it's a really nice. Mm. It's quite strong, mm. but it's got a, quite a different smell to the normal eucalyptus yep. oil you get. Mm. But it's from a blue gum. All right. Mm. Yeah. Even the um, uh, the bellberry tea tree and a few of the others, uh, they were distilled too. Uh, I've actually, um, at one stage there, when I was slashing, oh, many years ago, uh, I came across this really nice smelling plant. And then nothing was done about it until, oh, probably 15 years or so maybe by now. I was slashing again in a different place down around tea gardens and I smelt this plant. And that's and um, you knew what it was. I knew what it was. Yeah. So I got off the tractor and I was sampling different plants here You're and there and everywhere, trying to locate which one made the smell. And as soon as I saw it, I knew that was it. So I collected a, a sample off about a dozen of them and I sent it up to um, North to have it analysed. And it turned out to be a brand new one. 
Really? And um, the, uh, the research station, they got the local one up there, uh, which is no good chemically. The one I found down here, completely different chemical in it, the same as basil, methyl chemical. And ah. you could actually use it for flavouring meat and stuff like that. And so it's edible? Hmm. Completely different chemical to one up there. And uh, we, we scored two pages in an International Gazette in America with it. Did they name it after you? It's, no, oh. it hasn't been named. I think you should put, you yeah. know. We know what it is, with a botanical name. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but can't it have another name, like Arthur? Oh, it could, but uh, uh, I thought or of... Or the Vinicum? I thought of um, uh, trying to propagate it. Uh, grow it commercially, but a little mug like me would get it going, and some big wig would, would take, take off over with and it. grow it 50 acres of it. And what was the point? Well, it might be worth trying. Uh, also, what I could find is it out, a common plant that you see in the bush? Where it grows, it's common in the sand. Right. Yeah. Um, also, it, they does it look like a little basil? Is it like a little no? It's completely, completely different to a basil. Right. Yeah, very fine leaf on it, and um, but they tell me it takes anything up to ten years to get it passed for him in consumption as well. Ah, uh, mm. yeah. There's a lot in it. A lot in mm. it, yeah. Mm. So that that's a long time. Um, that's. I think I think you need to look at having that named after you, though, Arthur. <laughs> well, in the uh, in the International Gazette, it's got the uh, the um, the four or five fellows in the research station and Arthur Vinicum. Well, there you go. Yep. There you go. <laughs> yeah. But yes. Well, Arthur. Well, we're going to have to leave it there. Thank you. That's you've just been fascinating. Just fascinating. Thank you for spending the time with us today. Good to spread the, spread the, spread the knowledge around. I'm sure a lot of people will be very interested with mm. the amount of knowledge that you've got. I actually uh, go and talk. Sometimes people get me to go on um, uh, different groups to talk. Oh, good. Mm. So do you... I don't mind doing that. No, like gardening groups and things like that? Uh, apex and all sorts of things, like lions and all sorts yep. of stuff like that, for instance. Yeah. About, about the, the native seeds. About the native seeds, yeah. 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 And anything like I just spoke yeah, to you about. Yeah, because the more people know about it, the better. Well, thank you very much, Arthur. That's just been fascinating. To hear more of Arthur's story, and his plans for the future, please tune in to Tales of the Valley on any of the podcast apps. Until next time, I'm Cynthia.